Well, glory. Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. The book of the prophet Isaiah chapter 6. We are in the midst of a series on the call of God. Looking at God's call upon people's lives down through the Bible. We started with Moses and then the following week we looked at Samuel's call and then last week the call of Esther and this morning we're going to look at Isaiah, then next week the call of Jeremiah, and we'll end our series with the call of one named Paul in the New Testament. This morning as we look at Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to see this. Out of crisis comes a consciousness. Out of a consciousness comes a commitment, and out of a commitment comes a calling. That's what we see playing out here in Isaiah chapter 6. And the first thing that we see here is the description of a crisis that's going on in Judah at this time. I want to direct your attention to the first six words of Isaiah chapter 6. Seven words, excuse me. In the year of King Uzziah's death. Uzziah was the king of Judah for 52 years. That's a long time. And for the most part, the people of Judah lived in prosperity during his 52-year reign. However, spiritually, they weren't making progress all the time that they were materially prospering under King Uzziah. They were spiritually going backwards. Over that 52 years, it was easy for the people of Judah to begin to focus their hopes and trust in him, the earthly king, rather than the heavenly king, which is why it's very appropriate that Isaiah writes, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the sovereign master seated on a high, elevated throne. A great king may have left his throne on earth, but the greatest king is still seated on his throne in heaven. Oh, we could apply this verse to us this year. In the year of 2020, I saw the sovereign master seated on a high elevated throne. In the year of COVID-19, I saw the sovereign master high and seated on an elevated throne. In the year of fear and unrest, I saw the sovereign master seated on a high elevated throne. In the year where the world literally was turned upside down, I saw the sovereign master high elevated and seated upon his throne. Do you see the sovereign master, the Lord, today? It is so important that we see him. But many times, our focus isn't on God. It isn't riveted to God. It isn't fixed on God because we're so busy with 
what's going on down here, that sometimes it takes a shaking. Sometimes it takes a crisis moment in our lives or in the life of our world or whatever for us to get our eyes off of earthly and worldly and material and physical things and temporal things and to get them where they always should be, which is on the Lord, the one who is on his throne, seated high and lifted up. Do you see the Lord Today, It was out of this crisis that Isaiah had a consciousness. And I want you to note, first of all, it was a consciousness or an awareness of the person of God. And there's two primary things that, that Isaiah was absorbing. First of all, it was God's sovereignty. Let's look at that for a moment. I saw the sovereign master, Adonai, is the word in the Hebrew. It is the Lord of glory. It is the one who rules over all. It is the one who occupies the highest rank in the universe and from whom everything and everyone was created and there was nothing that has been created that was not created by Adonai. He is the creator, the ruler, the sustainer, the king of all that he has created. Seated on a high, elevated throne, exalted above all. Not as a God who is aloof, not as a God who is indifferent, not as a God who is above it all as far as caring or not caring or having any compassion or sympathy or pity for what's going on down here. No, just the opposite. But one that you and I can have our security, our stability, our strength in, because we know that no matter what is going on down here on this planet or any other planet in the universe that God has created, God is over it all and ruling it all. Do you see the Lord today high and lifted up? That's why Isaiah said, when I saw the Lord, it was through my spiritual vision. It was through my perception that I became conscious of the Lord. You see, we, we not, might not actually be able to see the Lord physically, but we should always be able to see him through spiritual eyes where he is, high and elevated upon his throne, as the sovereign master of the universe. Do you have that kind of spiritual vision and that spiritual perception to be able to see the Lord of glory each and every day that you and I are living? Isaiah says the hem of his robe filled the temple. Again, using language of a, of a king, one who has this glorious robe, and, and the robe fills the entire temple that Isaiah is seeing in heaven. Notice at the end of verse 5, he says, My eyes have seen the King, the Lord who commands armies, the Lord of hosts, the Lord who has everything in the universe that he created at his disposal always, from the tiniest atom or molecule that makes up everything that we see to the most gigantic thing that you and I could imagine, to the largest planet, to the greatest star. God has everything at his disposal. He is the Lord of hosts, and he's high, and he is lifted up. 
Notice Isaiah goes on to say seraphs, these magnificent creatures that God created, that was part of his creation, stood over him. The word seraphs literally means burning ones. It's going to be great one day to be in heaven and see the face of Jesus. <laughs> that, that's going to be the greatest thing. But can you imagine the other sights that we're going to see? And, and one of those sights is going to be, we're going to see these creatures called seraphs, burning ones, who literally are standing over the throne of God. And notice, each one had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And they used the remaining two to basically hover in place. And their role was just to continually worship the sovereign master, to draw everyone's attention in heaven to the one who's high and lifted up and seated upon the throne. Notice how the seraphim in verse 2 acknowledge the presence of God by their actions, even by the covering of their faces, that the, the magnificence and the glory of God is, is so uh, amazing that even these creatures who were built to be in his presence cannot fully look upon the person of God. This is the one who rules in heaven. When you and I get this kind of picture of God and concept of God in our minds, it should be a concept that no matter what crisis we are going through in our life, some of you have suffered great loss this year in one way or another. I hope that even in this year of suffering, maybe great loss, you are seeing the Lord high and lifted up. Because when we get the proper perspective of God, and when we put God in his proper place, when we have a consciousness and an awareness of who God is at all times, it definitely then colors our perspective of everything that you and I will go through here on earth. Because we will see it through the eyes of the one who rules over all. Notice in verse 3, they, these seraphs, call out to one another. It would be almost like a, a choir, if you will, saying, hey, it's your turn. The other one then say, oh, now it's you. And notice over and over again, they're expressing one truth. Not only that God is sovereign, but that God is holy, 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 holy is the Lord who commands armies, the Lord of hosts. They are expressing over and over again the utter otherliness of God, which is just definition of holy, that God is utterly otherly than anything else. There's no one or nothing like him. Can you imagine since these seraphs have been created by God, that's all they've done. They have literally hovered in the presence of the Lord of glory, seated on his throne, and done nothing for millennia since they've been created except offer worship to God and remind all of heaven about the holiness of God. 
by the way, I'll sort of throw this out, not to stir any kind of controversy or anything. But for those of you that don't like much repetition in your worship, you'd have a problem with the seraphs. <laughs> they have one note that they hit, and that's it. Holy, holy, holy. That's it. Because you know what? Even heaven needs to be reminded, there is no one like him. There is no one like our God. He is holy and he is sovereign. And it was out of this great crisis, the king, Uzziah, 52 years in power, what are we going to do in Judah? How are we going to go on? What's our lives going to be like after Uzziah goes off the scene? Again, over those 52 years, the people of Judah began to put their focus of their hopes and trust in the one who was seated on an earthly throne instead of the one who was always seated and will always be seated on his heavenly throne. Verse 4, the sound of their voices shook the door frames. That's a picture that'll literally rattle you a little bit. And the temple was filled with smoke. In fact, at the end of verse 3, they say his majestic splendor fills the entire earth. The value and worth of God fill the earth. Then how tragic is it that so many human beings pass through their time on earth and never come to appreciate or acknowledge the value and worth of God, even though it fills the entire earth that he created. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth displays the handiwork of God. And yet men and women can live their whole life on this earth that God created and not see the value and worth and splendor and glory of God. And you and I need to be careful of that as well. We can pass through our days on this earth even as God followers, as those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And if we're not careful to begin to see things through our spiritual vision and, and to have our spiritual perception heightened, we can go through each day and literally not see God and not see the handiwork of God and not see the majesty of God and the glory of God and the splendor of God. And sometimes like Isaiah or the people of Judah, it takes a crisis to come into our life to get our eyes off of the smaller things and to get them onto the main thing. And I think that that's one of the things that God is doing with his people in these days and in this season. If nothing else, God is saying, Will you get your eyes off of these things and will you get them back on me? Are we seeing the Lord? Again, Isaiah writes in verse 5 after this whole experience, my eyes have seen the king. Have your eyes lately seen the king of kings and Lord of lords? Do you see him today? Well, that would be enough. But notice something else Isaiah is conscious of and aware of. 
when you and I step into the light of God's glory, we not only will see him for who he really is and begin to see him for who he really is, but we also then begin to see ourselves for who we really are. How holy he is and how sinful we are. And notice Isaiah becomes very aware, acutely aware of his own sinfulness, and he's overwhelmed by it in the light of God's holiness. He says in verse 5, too bad for me. I am destroyed, for my lips are contaminated by sin, and I live among people whose lips are contaminated by sin. I see myself for who I really am. The one thing all of us, one day, if we don't acknowledge it here, we will acknowledge before the throne of the Lord in heaven is that we were great sinners, but we had a greater Savior. Now, here's where this comes into the call of God. And I'm going to get to this a little bit more later on. But I want you to see the progression here. It was out of a crisis, nationally and even personally for the prophet Isaiah, that he became more aware, more conscious of the person of God. But he also, because of that, became more conscious and more aware of his own sin. And part of the reason that holds many even believers back from ever knowing the call of God on their life, embracing the call of God on their life, or following the call of God on their life, is they don't want to ever step into the full light of God and have their lives exposed by the holiness of God. And yet it is only when you and I are willing to do that that we will truly then not only appreciate God's holiness and our sinfulness for what it is, but we'll appreciate what God does for us when he forgives us and pardons us for it all. And that is so key to being one then who is not only committed to God, but committed to the one who's willing to follow the call of God. Are we willing to step into the light of God? Because here's, here's the truth, right? Even though we may hesitate to slip into the light of God and say, God, expose my life, you know, warts and all before you for everything that I am, is it whether we know this or not, God already knows. God already knows. We then just need to realize that our sins, no matter how great, how many, how awful, are more pardonable in the light of God than the excuses that we use to hide them and keep ourselves from his light. And as Isaiah is there in the light, seeing the glory of God, he's also seeing himself for who he really is. Because it, it's both and, it's not either or. If you and I want more of God in our life, then that means more of our own sinfulness is going to be exposed. 
You and I can't walk closer to God and not then begin to be more aware and more conscious of all of our failings and all of our sinfulness. Now, God doesn't do that in order to be cruel. God says, let's take all that and let me forgive all that and heal all that and make you whole. Because there are some Christians that have never truly allowed God to really heal them of some things in their life. And we go on, instead of really exposing ourselves to the light of God, we sort of maybe like tiptoe in or dip our toe in and then get back out again because we really don't want to see ourselves for who we really are. But the problem with that is, if we're not willing to see ourselves for who we really are, then we can't be in the light of God as Isaiah was to see God for who he really is. Which is why then many times we struggle with having the security and the stability and the strength and all of that that we need from being very well aware of, of, and being very conscious and aware of who God is in all of his glory. High and lifted up, seated upon his throne. Because notice, in verse 6, after Isaiah's confession and contrition, it is met with God's gracious provision. One of these seraphs now flew toward me. Can I tell you, if I had a creature with six wings who was on fire coming from the presence of God towards me, I'd be like, oh my God, you know. I can only imagine what Isaiah was, you know, going through here as one of these creatures flew towards him. But notice it was to minister to him. In his hand was a hot coal he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth, verse 7, with it and said, look, this coal has touched your lips. God is performing a spiritual surgery that's going to make you whole and fit for his presence and for his service. Your evil has been removed and your sin has been forgiven. And there is no greater words that any human being can ever hear than that from God. Your evil's been removed and your sin's been forgiven. All I can say to that is amen and hallelujah. In fact, that verse reminded me of a verse earlier on in the book of Isaiah I'd like to remind us all of. If you keep your finger there in Isaiah 6, go back to Isaiah 1, verse 18. God, through the prophet Isaiah, was saying to his people in Isaiah 1, 18, come, let's consider your options, says the Lord. Though your sins have stained you like the color red, you can become white like snow. Though they are as easy to see as the color scarlet, you can become white like wool. Whew. Washed in the blood of the lamb. There is power in the blood. Peter writes, you and I were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain manner of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without spot and without blemish. And when Jesus died on that cross and shed his blood, when you and I place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, our sins are forgiven. They are wiped away. They are thrown into the depths of the sea. They are put forth from us as far as east is from west. And God says, pardoned forever.
Now notice, out of crisis came consciousness. Out of consciousness now comes commitment. Because look at verse 8. I literally, in the Hebrew, I overheard. It was like Isaiah was in this place. He was very conscious and aware again of the person of God and now of the pardon of God in his life. And so he hears the voice of the sovereign master say, whom will I send? Who will go on our behalf? This call, my my friends, is not for a special few. It is for everyone. And so Isaiah answered, here I am. Send me. Commitment. Now notice something. He made a commitment to God without ever knowing what the mission, the assignment, what God's plan was. You notice that, right? The progression here. He's basically saying, God, how can I not offer my life and myself to you? When I become conscious of who you really are, that you are the sovereign master of the universe, you rule over all, you're exalted above everything else. And why is that important when we begin to talk about calling? Getting a little ahead of myself, but I don't want us to miss this moment. Because if I'm going to be sustained in what God has for me, I've got to continually be conscious of who he is. And the other thing is, the only way I'm going to truly be committed to God is when I truly come to appreciate and be grateful for what God has done for me. And the only way I truly become grateful and appreciative and thankful for what God has done for me is when I see myself in all of my sinfulness, in all that I am of where I come short of the holiness of God and where I fail God, and yet God is willing to forgive me and not only to forgive me, but to offer me a place in his kingdom and a purpose in his kingdom and a calling in his kingdom. It's not just forgiving our sin. It's saying, now I have a plan and purpose for you, and I want to offer that to you. It's only when we become conscious of those things that we will truly fulfill our calling. Or I will say it this way. One will never fulfill their calling without continual consciousness of God and commitment to God. Because I want us to see, even in Isaiah 6, God had not told him what his assignment was yet, and yet Isaiah was fully committed to God. Here I am. Send me. I don't know what you have. See, many times as Christians, oh, We've got it all backwards. We're like, God, I'll be committed to you, but first show me what your plan is. Show me what your will is, and then if I like it, I'll get on board. I'll be committed to it. No, 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 no. And when we get to that place in our Christian life even, when we, when we say things like that, I, I can just tell you, here's where we're at. We've lost our consciousness of God and our consciousness not only of his person but of his pardon. 
Because all of a sudden now we start to make deals with God. God says, no, I want it to all flow out of your awareness, acute awareness of me, who I am, and what I've done for you. And then out of that consciousness or awareness, you get committed to me. Because it doesn't matter then what I ask you to do. It doesn't matter what I ask you to be. It, all that matters is you're willing to follow me as Jesus invited to those that were there when he was on earth, simply because, Lord, I'm committed to you and whatever you have for me every day of my life, no matter what it is, because I am conscious, God. I am very aware of who you are and the fact that you, you, God, are allowing me to be a part of what you're doing. Oh, my goodness, God, who would, who would want to turn down that privilege and honor and opportunity? And, and how, how crazy is it that you are willing to forgive me of all my sin for all time and make a place for me in glory and in heaven with you for eternity, and, and somehow I'm balking at, at making myself available to you? That's crazy. And that's why we have this chapter before us today. Because Isaiah, even by example, is showing us out of crisis comes consciousness, out of consciousness comes commitment. Out of commitment, then, and consciousness comes a calling. Notice God's words in verse 9. So God said, go and tell these people this. Now, here's the crazy thing. You want to talk about a difficult assignment? Basically, what God is telling Isaiah is, these people won't listen to you, but go anyway. You won't get, you thought Noah couldn't get anybody on the ark? You're going to be even less successful. <laughs> They're not going to listen to your ministry, but you go and tell them anyway. So that reminds us of something very important, which is why we've got to follow God out of a consciousness of him and out of a commitment to him. Because the focus of our calling is not outward success. It is simply being faithful to God and what he's asking us to do. We are not held responsible by God or for, before God for people's response. All we are held responsible for is, are we doing what God's asked us to do? And so even here, he already told Isaiah up front, the reason I need you to be committed to me is because you will not be successful as far as earthly success is, is looked at as far as external success. You won't have hardly anybody listen to your words. Look at what God says. Go tell these people who listen continually but don't understand, who look continually but don't perceive. They don't hear God. They don't see God even though he's there. Make the hearts of these people calloused Make their ears deaf and their eyes blind. Otherwise, they might see and their eyes with their eyes and hear with their ears. Their hearts might understand. They might repent and be healed. What's the ministry then of Isaiah? It is to affirm the hardening of their heart. 
You see, God is doing the same thing with his own people here that he did with Pharaoh. God doesn't harden the heart first. But what God does is when he is rejected over and over and over again, that produces an insensitivity to God, literally a callousness to where God's word and, and the moving of God cannot penetrate that human being anymore. And so God, in a sense, sends a prophet like Moses before Pharaoh or a prophet Isaiah before his people and literally confirms them in their hardening. It's sort of a form of judgment that God gives upon his people. So notice Isaiah's reply. How long do I have to do this? And notice what God says. And here's what I want you to consider, my friends. And please hear my heart in this. Yes, God deals with Israel in a totally different way than he deals with any other nation on earth. I get that. But there are some general principles here that I think you and I as Christians living in the day and age in which we do should pay more attention to in the Bible. And I want you to pay attention to what God is doing here with Israel and see if you can't maybe make some parallels into our own nation. How long should I do this? until cities are in ruins and unpopulated and houses are uninhabited and the land is ruined and devastated until the Lord has sent the people off to a distant place and the very heart of the land is completely abandoned. Only a tenth, only a faithful remnant will survive. And they will even have to pass through the fire. But I will have this little stump, and I will start over rebuilding the nation from this little stump. What's God doing, and why is he doing it? Well, when God determines that something is fundamentally corrupt, it is beyond tweaking, it is beyond adjustment, adjustment here and adjustment there, then what God has to do is he has to totally restart. He has to take down something all the way to basically from scratch. He has to begin to rebuild something from the ashes that remain through his purifying judgment. And God is saying to Isaiah, that's your calling. That's your calling. You're going to be the prophet that prophesies over this nation that I've got to take you down to the bare nothing to be able to rebuild you because you are beyond just tweaking and minor adjustments. I've got to totally restart from scratch. Something to consider. I would compare it to this. I know too well this in my own life. There are times when your car gets in an accident, right? And there are times where if you're in a minor accident, you can get it repaired, you know, it's still survivable. But there are times where people have accidents with their cars and it's deemed total. That there's no sense in trying to 
put that back together again like Humpty Dumpty. It's beyond that. There's, there's too much corruption fundamentally there to be able to salvage it. So what's God do? He takes it all the way down to the bare stump. And then he starts back over again. Notice God is never about totally wiping something out. It's just getting it back again to where he can rebuild it the way he wants it to be. You see, sometimes God has to do that in our own life. Sometimes we've gotten our priorities so out of whack that God's got to take us down to practically nothing and then start our lives all over again so that we start doing it the right way, his way, rather than our way because we've lost our consciousness and awareness of God. Out of crisis comes consciousness. Out of consciousness comes commitment. Here I am, send me. Out of that consciousness and commitment that God sees comes calling. Because if God doesn't see that we are aware of him and committed to him, he's not going to give us assignments, especially difficult, tough ones. Why? Because we need that consciousness of him continually, and we need that commitment to him continually in order to do the things that are hard. Otherwise, we'll say, uncle, I'm done. I'm out of here. And God has given all of us a tough assignment. What is it? To be a Christ follower in a world that is run by Satan. That's a pretty tough assignment. No matter what other assignment God has given us, this world lies in the power of the evil one, the Word of God says. Therefore, we are to follow Christ wholeheartedly in a world that will not embrace Christ or embrace us. That's a tough assignment, and God is saying, so I'm looking for a people who are conscious of me and conscious of all that I've done to pardon their life and to have a plan and purpose for their life. And then I'm looking for a people who are committed to me who before I ever tell them what I want them to do, I see that they are committed to me so that no matter what I ask of them, no matter what I require of them, they'll say, I'm good, God, because how can I say no to you? You are the Lord of glory. You have given me eternal life. You have forgiven me of all my sin. I have an eternity waiting for me in heaven forever and ever. God, you, I'm nothing without you. So God, all that I am, all that I have, here it is. Here I am, God. Send me. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for these reminders of, Lord, how you work. And God, I pray today that as we've been in this place of worship with you and with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that, God, we have become very aware of you in this place, that our eyes have been lifted up to the one who is seated on the throne, to the one who is high and elevated above all, to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Nothing 
would be more beneficial than for all of us to be able to leave this house of worship today saying, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But God, we not only want to see you, we want to hear you because you're calling your people. You're calling us to commitment and you're calling us to follow whatever you have for us, God. And I pray that we would respond that we would be like Isaiah, that we would be like Esther, that we would be like Samuel, that we would be like Moses and say, God, if that's what you have for me, God, here I am. How can I refuse the Lord of glory? Lord, in these days, days like we've never seen on earth before, May we not keep our eyes just on the earthly, temporal, material, and physical things, but may we lift our eyes up and in the year 2020 and beyond, see you, Lord, the sovereign master, high and seated on an elevated throne. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? And let's declare this song of worship to the Lord today as a song from our hearts to the Lord of glory. Lord, we are yours. We are yours.